In the following live session recording, Jesse Holmes, campus minister with Augusta University and Georgia Baptist Mission Board, discusses authentic faith after high school. Students today struggle with understanding what an authentic faith looks like after leaving the safety of their families and youth groups. In this session, the listener will explore ways to ensure that students actively grow and live out their faith in Jesus after leaving high school. Let's join Jesse now. So uh, a little bit about my background. While I was in college, I was actively involved in lots of youth groups in Savannah. Uh, I was a youth intern at Skidaway Island Baptist Church for about two years. I helped out Southside Baptist Church in student ministry for let's just say six years. And then when I moved back to Savannah and worked with the college ministry, I again was bridging the gap between college ministry and student ministry. Because I think that's extremely important as we want to connect our ministries, not be in silos. We want them to grow holistically. And so I have a lot of experience with student ministry. And as far as college ministry, my life was transformed in college going to the BCM for the first time as a freshman. Uh, I walked in extremely arrogant, thinking that I was the best Christian in the world, and I knew everything about the Bible. And I'm super grateful to the Lord that he provided several guys that humbled me very quickly. Uh, I learned very quickly that I did not know everything in the world. Uh, But the biggest thing that I learned is that I was building my righteousness upon the things that I did, not on who Christ is. And these guys, Will, Josh, Josh, and Ben, they took me under their wing and began modeling a lot of things to me and teaching me. At the BCM was the first time I learned how to have a quiet time and how to actually study the Bible. So the BCM has played a huge role in my life, and I'm grateful to the Lord that I get to be a part of this family and do that for other college students as well. So when it comes to my story... As I'm thinking about how I learned about Jesus and what it means to be a disciple and make disciples, it was the college ministry that helped me in that. Now, I grew up in church. I grew up going to church since I was 10, uh, very active in Sunday school, very active. I would be at church from 9 o'clock until about 1230, 1 o'clock. My family was very active in everything that took place in church. However, it wasn't until college that things really started to solidify. So that's actually been something that's been on my heart and my mind for a very long time. What is it that takes place in this transition? What is it that's happening in this transition that makes college so significant? And as I talk to students on the college campus and I ask them about their faith, I ask them, you know, when did you come to know the Lord? The story always begins with, I was baptized when I was six or seven, but it wasn't until this point that I really started to understand. Now we do understand that there is a maturing that comes in this process of salvation. The process of sanctification is very long until we die and there's times where we're learning and we're growing along the way but I'm wondering are there key components that we need to inject in our ministries that will help students as they make that transition to college they're not falling off the horse or doubting or struggling with a lot of things. They're able to just keep running hard. So that's a little bit of what we're going to be talking about today, how to help our students maintain authentic faith after high school. So I have some think about it questions for you. Um, Tidbit, I was a fourth grade teacher for about four years. So I love worksheets and I love really good questions and I love teaching. So I'm going to try not to go to fourth grade level. I'm going to try to keep it high. But I have some think about it questions for you. So just take a second and look at those. Question number one, when did you begin to actively grow and live out your faith? 
What role did your student slash youth ministry play in the process? Question number two, what were some of the challenges you faced when you began taking ownership of your faith? And last question, what do you think are challenges students today, what challenges students today as they venture out on their own? So just take a second and think about it, and um, that will be, in a second, we will have a chance to share some of your thoughts. All right, let's go ahead and start talking about it. I had a conversation with a young man yesterday, and out of the conversation, one of the comments that he made was, He's had adults tell them, tell him the right things to do, to tell them, tell him what the scripture teaches about several different things. But the approach that they took was as if they did not remember what it was like to be in that position. So he was just sharing how though the adults in his life have always spoken truth, they don't speak it as one that was 20 years old at some point, that was 23 years old years old at one point that didn't know what to do. And so a part of this activity is to help you guys remember, help all of us to remember. I try my very best to remember uh, what was it like to be in a place where you didn't know where you were going, where you didn't know who to talk to, where you were torn between obeying the commands of Jesus and following your own desires. I think that is first and foremost key to how we minister to our students. If we step back and remember and then begin to speak, we're going to then begin able to be able to speak with confidence and with compassion and with empathy. We're going to understand that though you're 13 and it seems like it's the end of the world, we know it's not the end of the world, but for them, it feels like that. And we need to be able to talk to them in such a way that we empathize and they feel like, okay, they do understand what's happening. And then we're able to share wisdom. So question number one, everyone doesn't have to share, but if you have a thought, um, when did you, well, I won't read it again. Number one, so who would like to share an answer? Dave and I took over um, the youth group back in 2010, so we've been working with them probably 10 years now. Mm -hmm. um, and I could probably say that my growing in my faith um, started to increase more then. Yeah. Um, we had, of course, had kids at the time, and we were trying to be the examples we needed to be with them, but to truly, you know, um, God spoke to me, and he's like, look, these are not your kids. You know, these are mine. Um, and how how do I say it? He's, I'm letting you raise them, so to speak, but you're to do it underneath my terms, the way I, you know, should or what would like for you to do it. And so that's when I believe we started to grow ourselves because we, um, of course, are not perfect. But in order to be the examples we need to be, we have to grow with them. Yes. So, to speak. so that's probably when I would say we started growing a little bit in our faith. Yeah. Excellent. Anyone else? I would say that I started growing in my youth group because I was, um, my leaders were um, very good at uh, discipling and moving, helping transition us into mm -hmm. leaders. What are some ways that they helped in that? Um, they would include us in. Um, what do y'all want to do activities mm -hmm. include us in um, creating those activities and giving us jobs to mm -hmm. be in charge of and we were depended on to do those you know yeah. Yeah. so That's taking an active role in our youth group that as high schoolers mm -hmm. to minister into middle schoolers yeah <clears throat> one more I say we're living out of 
my faith definitely took hold during college. I, mean, I was very involved in understanding the, the issue. Um, and and um, you know, participating in the submissions program that they had. Mm -hmm. you know, I went to uh, the Georgia Baptist uh, Children's Homes for a summer and also participated in other mission type events. Um, and I guess what conference is what we used to call the Asia conference, right? Ball right. okay. conference. Yes, yeah, ball conference. Ball conventions. Right. So, um, you know, doing those things beyond just uh, what my parents were doing, mm -hmm. and, you know, being part of the issue, I was, you know, very, you know, I just think back, I was like, wow, I actually did a lot. That was really the first time kind of stepping out of doing things with my family, but kind of taking, you know, having, yeah. having my, um, my, uh, Christian relationships be more than just what was founded mm. through my immediate church. Yeah. Now, what about challenges? What are some, thinking back, what were some of the challenges you experienced as you were taking ownership of your faith? So you're away from mom and dad, home church, friends, you're off on your own. What are some of the challenges that you faced? But lack of wisdom mm -hmm. to act as God would want me in real, in uh, in reactions. Yeah. Uh, you know, just reacting as a child or as a teenager or as a young adult and not biblically mm -hmm. acting the way I needed to <laughs> react. So that was, I mean, for me, that was a challenge. That um, well, I don't understand why why people are like you should react this way because I just didn't have the wisdom. Yeah. So that was kind of a challenge that for me. Mm -hmm. And then feeling inadequate because of my age. Mm -hmm. Only because of my age, you know. Mm -hmm. I would say it's similar to that, it's more fears. Just this unknown stuff you've not done before. Mm -hmm. Kind of know you're supposed to do it, but don't really know how to do it. Just that, that fear of all that mess up. Or, yeah. I remember tending to reflect whatever group I happened to be with at the time. Mm -hmm. If I was at church, I reflected that if I'm with ball teams, if I'm with work folks, you know, I, mm -hmm. I let my environment affect me more than I tended to affect my environment. Mm -hmm. So last question, what do you think are the challenges today that students are facing? And you can just say single words. What are some of these challenges? Attractive, calmness, temptation, calmness, and the world. Mm, yes. Mm -hmm. Everybody does it. What's wrong with it? Yes. We're going to be talking about that. <laughs> Let's be honest. Parents are um, a challenge for students to venture out on their own. No. If the parents react to me. So many of them have broken homes now. Um, mm -hmm. It wasn't like that when I was growing up. Yeah. Now they're becoming single, single mom houses where their parents are divorced. Or, yeah. 
Well, what we're going to transition to do, and so I broke this talk up and talking about and addressing the transition, what are some of the things that the students are dealing with, the problem in the midst of this transition, how they're dealing with all of these changes, and then finally looking at some solutions. Uh, I do not know everything, and I'm just doing the best that I can to articulate the things that I've seen and even have implemented, and we're all going to also address scripture, because uh, I do believe the Lord addresses a lot of these things. So I feel that with every generation, they've made the comment that, oh man, this is worse than when I was growing up. The reality is today is way worse and way more challenging than any of us, even me. I'm 33, and so I grew up with computer, but it was not in the same way that our kids are growing up now with iPads and cell phones. My fourth graders had cell phones and sometimes they would bring them to school. So they're constantly exposed to different things in the world. And also just think about the media, not only the TV shows that are now made readily available, movies, but even the news itself. Our students are constantly inundated with all of this information and constantly being exposed to all of these things in the world. Also, I would say that sin, where some year, generations ago, there were certain sins that were just, we don't talk about that. We don't do that. It was kind of understood. People might have done that in secret. But now, I mean, you choose a sin and it's glorified. I can tell you a movie or a TV show where that sin is glorified and it's accepted. So now we have students that are growing up in a culture where we're saying the Lord says don't do that, but they're pointing to the TV show, to a movie, to an Instagram post, to their friends. They're saying the complete opposite of what we're saying. And it's challenging. It's difficult. And so they're going to our colleges and even our high schoolers going to school. And they're in the midst of this world where everyone is saying something different than them. And we have to sit and let that sink in. That is hard. This isn't the time where people are making fun of you because of what you believe. This is now the time where people are saying that your beliefs are hurting other people. That what you believe and what you say is hurting other people and you need to stop that. And so students are stuck in this situation trying to figure out what to do. So here are some of the things. I made a small list of some things that our students are facing. Number one, which is a duh, freedom. They are facing freedom, and that's neither good nor bad. It depends on how they use it. But some students, they're going off to college, and they're experiencing freedom, and so there are no more eyes watching them the whole time. They get to do whatever they want, and mom and dad and grandma and pastor do not know what they're doing. And it is exhilarating. I don't know if you remember what that's like. That's exhilarating. I remember when I moved out from my mom's house and I was hanging out with some friends until 3 a.m. and I started driving home, I was like, whoa, my mom is not going to be waiting for me when I get home. This is an amazing feeling. If I want to stay out till 4 or 5, I can do that right now. And it's just exciting. It's exciting. You are now able to do these things that for so many years your parents said, no, you're not allowed to do that. So that's one of the changes that they're dealing with. Next, they're dealing with pressure. And this pressure that they're dealing with is both direct and indirect. Students in the midst of this transition are dealing with pressure. So direct pressure, we know what that's like. The students uh, asking them to try things out. Uh, and it's funny, I've watched lots of after school specials and you have the kid that's like, oh, try out this drug. 
do you know how legit that is? That happens. That is actually happening. Kids are approaching other kids, telling them to try out things there. It's just crazy. Next, is that's direct. Another form of direct is questioning what they do. So you are not drinking at a party, and students are saying, why won't you drink? Why won't you drink? Why won't you drink? The young man that I spoke with yesterday, he said that he was at a party, and five times a friend asked him that question. Over Five times. Just take this drink. Uh, come on, man. Just drink this. Oh, it's not that serious. Just drink this. The last thing that we see with direct is challenging what they believe. So when students are actually saying, oh, yeah, I go to church. Oh, you go to church? Oh, you're one of those people. And so what that then does is it just starts to create this pressure. You then start thinking to yourself, oh, wow, like, what's wrong with me? Like, this feels off. Like, everyone is saying different things than I am. And it starts to overwhelm you. And we're going to talk about what happens with that in a second. Indirect, watching what other people do. So when you are in your dorm and everybody is smoking weed and you are not, you feel pressure right then because everyone is actively engaging in something that you're not. And even if you've grown up knowing that I should not do things that's illegal, my mom and dad would not approve of this, sitting in the midst of that, you feel pressured because what's, what do you have to do? You have to choose to be with everyone else or to go off by yourself. And an 18-year-old really is gonna to choose to just go off by themselves, especially in a new world especially in a place that they've never been before, because it's essential to have those relationships. So the indirect is also involves being tempted by what they see. So maybe in one situation, they're not tempted to smoke weed, but they are tempted to drink. And so this pressure of alcohol being available around, accessible, man, that's a huge temptation. I chatted with one of my students this morning that's an RA, and he shared that he was up until one o'clock in the morning because he had to deal with a situation where minors were drinking in one of the dorm rooms. And he had to take care of that situation. So these are, this is the reality of college life today, that they're dealing with these pressures. This next thing that students are facing with this transition is just straight up loneliness. Loneliness. So think about being a student that's traveling hundreds of miles away from home. You don't know anyone, and so you are just alone until you start making connections with people. And oftentimes, other believers are not the first ones there to connect with you. And so you're just desperate. You are hungry to be included and to be involved. And so you latch hold to the first people that you see. And what student organizations do, especially fraternities and sororities, they're going to make you feel as welcome as possible. And so they're going to be out there and they're going to be excited. They're going to say, hey, man, like, come and sign up for this. Come and do this. At one of the student organization fairs that I was at, I listened to the frats and they were like, they saw this guy coming and they said, hey, let's just go ahead and invite this guy to sign up. He's probably, we probably won't accept him, but let's just try to get him into the group. So what they're already thinking is, we want to try to grab hold to as many people as possible so a lonely young man or a lonely young lady is going to latch hold to whatever group shows them the most attention. The next thing which you've already addressed is just simply media. They're dealing with being inundated with so much media. So this is something that's very interesting. Our media, in a lot of ways, communicates what's normal. 
our media communicates what's normal. Growing up, I watched Boy Meets World, Saved by the Bell, um, all these different TV shows on ABC. And what did these TV shows do? They showed you, if you are a middle schooler, this is what life looks like for you. This is the norm. If you're in high school, this is what the norm is. If you're in college, this is what the norm is. So students are going to college with all of this information in their heads, all these TV shows and movies that they've seen, and they're thinking, oh, if I want to be a normal college student, then I need to smoke, drink, and hook up with people. And that's just a reality. I mean, you just feel that pressure. One thing that I've been learning over the past few months is, deep inside, we just all want to feel like we're normal. That's it, we wanna feel like we're normal. So why do we link arms with people that's like us? Because we feel normal. Why do we put ourselves in boxes and we say that I am this and I am that? Because we are desperate to feel normal. And so these students are going to campus with all, this idea, all these ideas of what it means to be normal, and so they're trying to act the part and try to figure out where they need to go in order to feel normal. And oftentimes, they're not going to the right places. And the last thing with media is, of course, comparing their lives to other people. So media just perpetuates that. We do that all the time. All the time as adults, we compare ourselves to others. But for these students that have Instagram and Facebook, and every time they're sitting down, they're scrolling through, it's just a game of comparison. Look at what she's doing. Look at what she's wearing. Oh, look at where he went. Look at what he is saying. And so all the while, as they're flipping through the screens, they're comparing their lives to theirs. And they're going to then ask themselves the question, what do I need to change in my life so that I have a story like that? Uh, any questions or comments with that before we transition to the problem and how they're, how they're handling it? Have you seen these things to be true? If you have kids or in your student ministries, have you seen some of these things? Good. That's a good sign. That means that you are connected and that you're in tune with what's going on within your student ministries. So how are the students handling this transition? Number one thing that I've seen is doubt. In the midst of all these changes, in the midst of this transition, facing all the problems that we've just described, number one thing that comes up is doubt. So is everything that I've been taught real? Everybody else is saying that it's not. So is my Sunday school teacher, the things that my pastor taught, was that real? Was that true? Is God really going to be disappointed if I make a mistake? That is a huge one. Is God going to really be disappointed and upset, you know, if I just tried this out once? Hey, it's college. We all need to experiment. We all need to try things out. God understands. Is this really what the Bible says? Doubting the authority of Scripture. Doubting the inerrancy of Scripture. The infallibility of Scripture. And is this really true? Is this what God really says and means? The next thing that students, the next way that students deal with this is compromise. So they'll doubt or they'll begin to compromise. So this isn't really that bad. Yeah, the Bible says not to do this, but this isn't that bad. I'm not killing someone. Goodness gracious. You know, it's just experimenting and enjoying life or maybe they say Jesus will forgive this Jesus is faithful that's what we teach in church right we teach that Jesus will forgive if you ask for forgiveness so if I do this thing Jesus is going to forgive me 
that helps them to compromise. Other Christians are doing it. Can I tell you one of the most confusing things, I would just say, in life in general, is that so many people call themselves Christians, and they're all doing and believing different things. That is so confusing. Uh, It's so confusing that two weeks ago, I sat down with my leaders, and I went through the Baptist faith and message, because some people, some of the students were making comments like, well, you know, Christian is Christian. You know, a Christian group is a Christian group. And so I had to say, no, that is not true. Now let me explain to you why we as a BCM, why we are believers, and this is what we believe, and so we walk through that. And so students are thinking, well, all these guys are saying that they're Christian, so yeah, we can just follow along with them. Next, the Bible isn't really clear about this. That's a huge one. Uh, The Bible does not say don't smoke weed. That doesn't ever come up, you know? But... And so, and even just with interpreting different passages. Well, I've heard different interpretations of this passage. I've heard different people teach this in different ways. And so they use that to justify compromising. And another big one, I don't see anything wrong with this. Uh, No, there's nothing wrong with this. I don't see anything wrong with this at all. Another issue that students are facing, it's, it's interesting when we have conversations with students, and maybe Tony, you could uh, attest to this, our conversations are not really apologetic in nature, so we're not really having conversations, well, let me explain to you why the Bible is true. We're trying to appeal to their emotions, because what kids will say, I don't think that's fair. I don't like that. That hurts my feelings. I'm bothered by that. And so what they're trying to do is reconcile what the Bible says and how they feel versus the validity of Scripture. We did a gospel, we did the Great Exchange on campus, which is an activity where we shared the gospel through surveys. And several students that I talked to, that was the number one comment that came out of their mouths. Well, I just can't believe that God would. I just can't believe that God would not let me do what I want to do. I can't believe that God would not let me love who I want to love. And so they're basing what they believe on what? Their their own knowledge, their feelings, and their emotions. And how foolish is that? An 18-year-old to say, no, I, I know what's the right answer. So this is not fair. Next thing that we see that students do is that it's just complete abandonment. Complete abandonment. Students will say things like, this is just tradition. This is just how grandma and grandpa and mom and dad, this is how they used to do it. It's a new generation, so we have to do it a different way. Well, man wrote the Bible, and and so there can be some things that's wrong in there. So that's why I'm not going to believe these things anymore. Well, everyone else seems to think that it's fine. Everyone else in the world is saying one thing, and we're saying something different, so we have to be the ones that's wrong. And finally, this is the old way of doing things. We're trying to make people go back in time and relive the old days. We don't need to do this anymore. <clears throat> Last two ways that students deal with this problem is with loneliness and fear of ostracism. They are looking at the reality and they're saying, if I stick with what I believe to be true, what's going to happen is that I'm going to be by myself and people are going to shun me. And that happens on college campuses. If you are open about saying that you are a Christian and that you believe the Bible to be true, you put a target on your back. And students are now going to think something about you. 
You're going to have all of these negative images that come, and it's going to really make the relationship very difficult. And so students are thinking about all of these things. All of this stuff is going through their minds as they're walking around on college campuses, desperate to feel normal, trying to figure out how to live in this world. So what's the solution? What do, we, what do we do about this? How do we help our students transition well? How do we help them figure out what to do with life? So there's two questions. Number one, discipleship is the key. Um, maybe I'm biased, but I feel like discipleship is always the key. Uh, partly because Jesus said to make disciples. And also we just see lots of examples of discipleship, walking through life with people, teaching them scripture and modeling the truth of scripture. I think it just does a lot of things. And if you think about your lives, there was probably someone or a group of people that their life impacted you. And that's how you began walking faithfully with the Lord. And that is my story. So there's two questions as we're thinking about discipleship. The first question that we need to be able to answer, how do we effectively disciple our students? How do we effectively disciple our students? A tag with that is, what are we passing on? If we see and view discipleship as a process of passing on, we then need to ask the question, what are we passing on to these students? And the second question we need to ask is, what is our discipleship process producing? At the end of our time with our students, what do they look like? What do they know? What are they doing? What are they able to do? And so first question is, how do we effectively disciple our students? What are we passing on? And the second question is, what is our discipleship process producing? So we're going to look at two texts. Um, we're going to first, if you have a Bible with you, we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Very familiar passage. So this is Moses speaking on behalf of God to the people, giving them instructions before they go into the promised land. So within Deuteronomy, we get lots of repeats from Exodus. Moses is going back over the law, trying to remind them and prepare them for going to the promised land. And this is what he says in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates." So as Moses is communicating the importance of passing on these truths that they've been given, in order to survive in the promised land, we need to make sure that we do not forget the teachings of the Lord. So what he tells the parents to do is the big thing. He says, first of all, you need to know the commands. That's number one. You got to know it. You need to know what the Bible says, what these commands are. And the way that he words this is in such a way that it's not just, I know where to go to get the information, but the word is inside. Because for them to be able to do this in all these scenarios, these commands have to be written on their hearts and on their minds. They have to be readily accessible. 
So the first and foremost, as parents and as leaders, we need to make sure that we know the commands. That's easy. You know, we read and study and understand the scriptures and make it the number one priority in our lives. But this is where it gets very serious. You shall teach them diligently. And what that means, diligently, repeatedly, that you are going to be teaching these things over and over and over and over again. And this isn't, hey, let's talk about David and Goliath every week. Or, hey, let's talk about Jonah and the whale every week. But this is teaching the essential commands that will help sustain our lives. These are the things that we want to communicate repeatedly over and over again. So think for a second. If I were to ask one of your students, what is one thing that they hear over and over again from you? What do you think will come to their minds? What would they say? If I were to ask any of your students, what is one thing, if you can pinpoint one thing that your parents, your grandparents, your youth leaders, that they are always harping on, what would that one thing be? Not if you, oh, go ahead, yeah. Be you, not everybody else. God created you to be you. He didn't create you to be this person 2.0. So you, not just because they're doing that doesn't mean you have to feel that pull to do it. I, I mean, I preach it. We got a senior and he hears it all the time. Yeah. Put God first in everything you do. Everything else just yeah. So I had two campus ministers come down uh, about a month ago to serve as mentors, and they met with some of my leaders, and this question kind of came up. And I listened as my guys who walk with me all last semester, they're like, oh, well, this is easy. Jesse's always saying, well, what does the Bible say about that? What does the Bible say about that? They're like, every time we ask Jesse a question, he always says, well, what does the Bible say about that? And what they're communicating is I'm grateful to the Lord that they see that I believe firmly that the Bible is our source of truth. So, what, as we are doing ministry with students, and even just as parents, because your kids have phrases that they hear all the time, every single time, um, they hear every time they're around you. We want to think as leaders, if there's just one thing that I can say all the time, every single day, what is it that I want to be communicating repeatedly? Because what Moses tells the parents here is that you need to be teaching them diligently, repeatedly, over and over again. And here's the big thing. So as he says it, he says, when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Moses is communicating that these teachings have to be focal in their lives. If you are teaching this every single day, everywhere you go, in every aspect of your life, what are you communicating? You're communicating that the things that are coming out of your mouth are essential to living your life in a way that honors the Lord. So we teach these things repeatedly in every context 
so that they understand that these, the Bible, our faith, is not here and our lives are over here. The biggest thing that I feel like I'm doing as a campus minister is helping my students see that it's this. It's together. No, my life is not over here and my faith is Sunday and Wednesdays and Tuesdays. But it's together. I'm alive because of my faith. And how I live my life is based on my faith. And so by teaching them repeatedly and by helping them understand that it's the focal point of their lives, that's what's going to begin to help them process and understand, make this, make this concept real that their faith and their lives are just one thing. So a big question to ask ourselves is how often are we communicating the essentials of God's word? How often are we communicating those truths? How often are we reminding them of these things? So that they take this away with them. And the second passage that we're going to look at. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 10 through 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 10 through 17. This is Paul writing to who he would describe as his beloved son. Timothy is one that's followed with him in all his journeys. Not only that, he has entrusted Timothy to shepherding a church. And there are several times where Paul would leave Timothy to be in charge of something while he was someplace else. And so here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17, we get some really good lessons about how to help our students. Chapter verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So from this text, several things that I highlighted, you, however, have followed. The essential part of our discipleship process is that we need to have some ducklings around us. We need to have ducklings around us. They need to be following us. What are the things that Paul says that you have followed? My teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. So was Timothy only with Paul once a week on Sundays or on Wednesdays during youth? In order to see all these things, Timothy had to be walking with Paul. He had to be around Paul. So discipleship involves partners. It involves us as a church working together to grow up our students, our young kids, our middle schoolers, our high schoolers, even our adults. It's a process of partnership. And so as Paul is listing, continuing what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, he's talking about him. 
He's talking about his mom, and he's talking about his grandmother. If you remember in reading in Timothy, he tells him to be grateful for the faith that's been passed down, for what his mom and his grandmother had done. So Paul is saying, you need to be connected back and to remember all the things that you learned and from whom you've learned it. Why does he say, remember whom you learned it? Obviously, because Paul and his mom and his grandmother lived a life that was fruitful. So he said, remember the scriptures, but then also remember those people who are faithful to the scriptures. Will your students be able to remember the scriptures and bring people to mind who are faithful to the scriptures? And are they following in such a way that they're able to see all of these aspects of your life? And the second thing we get from this passage is that scripture is presented as the source of all wisdom. Scripture is the source of all wisdom. If you want to live your life right, you need scripture. And so Paul, in those last two verses, 16 and 17, he lifts it up and he talks about why it's profitable and what it will result in. So here are the final takeaways. Based off those two passages, if we had to narrow down a solution, Got it done in two things. Teaching and modeling. Teaching and modeling. If you want to make disciples well, you need to have a ministry of teaching and of modeling. What do you teach? Number one, you need to teach a high view of Scripture. What does that mean, a high view of Scripture? The Bible is not a book that was just written a long time ago that old people follow, but this is the word of life. It was breathed out by God and it was intended for all believers to know and to follow so that they will honor the Lord. That's why I'm going to always say when students ask me a question, and even if it's off the wall, I'll say, well, what does the Bible say about that? Let's, let's go to scripture and see what the Bible says about that. What does that communicate to the students? That Jesse is not the source of all wisdom and understanding. It's not me. It's the book. And it's the one who wrote the book. So I want to help my students understand this is how I use scripture to understand the world around me. Next thing, we want to teach what the Bible says. Now, this might sound a little weird, but several times in my guys' Bible studies, my guys have said things like, well, you know, the Bible does say that... Um, what was that one phrase? That the Bible does say that um, the Lord will do for those that do for themselves. Th that's not in the Bible, dude. No, that's not it. Oh, well, you know, the Bible says love the sinner but hate the sin. That's not in the Bible. That Jesus never said that. That's never articulated in Scripture. So I told my guys that day when that happened, I said, well, guys, this is what I'm going to do. Every time you say something that you think is from the Bible, I'm going to ask you, well, where is that in the Bible? And we're not going to say, well, it's somewhere that somebody said here or there. You need to find it. Uh, and I think this is true for all life, right? Like any job that you work, you can't just go around saying things. you got to back up what you're saying. So in the same way, we need to be teaching what the Bible says. Not what people have said about the Bible or what we've heard someone say about the Bible. We need to be teaching what the Bible actually says. And our teaching needs to be consistent. It has to be consistent. We have to continue to draw from the teachings in everyday life. And that's what leads us to understanding modeling. So our teachings cannot be limited to Sundays and Wednesdays. 
or Tuesdays and Thursdays, but it needs to be a thing that happens always. So when it comes to modeling, we are responsible for modeling what it looks like to live out the truth of scripture. We need to be modeling that. So our kids are following us like little ducklings as we go through life, and they're able to see our teachings, our life, our conduct, how we deal with tough situations, how we answer hard questions, how we deal with someone just throwing a wild, uh, wild card out there, and how do you deal with that? Uh, my guys in our Bible study training, one of the questions that one of the girls were asking, it's like, well, how do you deal with someone that just says something off the wall? Well, they need to see what that looks like. I mean, we know what to do, hopefully. We know, oh, all right, that's a good point. Well, we're going to get to that a little bit later. Oh, oh, thanks for sharing that. Well, let's talk about that a little bit afterwards. Instead of freezing and being like, oh, uh, I'm going to let you derail this whole Bible study. These are examples of things that our students need to see. Uh, and they have to be around us in order to see these things. This means that we need to have our students around us. And it's, it's hard. We can't have our students around us all the time. I do not always have students with me all the time. But I try to look at my week and look at my day. And what are some things that I can bring students along with me in doing? So a few weeks ago, um, a student and I went to go play Pokemon Go. It was a Saturday, and we went to the mall in Augusta to go play with some friends from church. And as we were walking up, this lady came up with her family, and she said, oh, we're in desperate need, you know, we're down and out, all these things. And the thing that I always do when someone approaches me, I say, well, I can't give you any money, but I'll take you to get something to eat. And normally that's a test. Like, that tells me if they're legit or not. Well, she said, okay. So we went into the mall, and I went and paid for seven people to eat. And so Alston, the student that was with me, was just asking me questions. He's like, man, like, I just don't know if I would do that. Normally, I just kind of shoo those people away. And as I was standing with the lady, and she was thanking me for doing this, I said, Jesus models in Scripture that as he walked by the way, when people would stop him and ask for something, he would stop what he was doing and take care of their needs. I said, that's why I'm doing this for you today, because this is what Jesus has modeled. And so for my student right here that's watching, like, I want him to see that I don't be just believe what Scripture teaches. I want to live that out. So Austin and I talked about that afterwards. That could only happen if he was with me. Now, I'm not saying take your students with you on Saturdays or have them live in your house. But we need to think about how are so, what are some ways that we can live our lives openly? What are some things that our students can join in with us as we're doing so that they can see that it's not just about words with you, but you live these things out every single day. There are two things, just in closing, two things that our students really need to learn. You might have seen this. Our students do not know how to think critically. They do not know how to think critically. Slash, they don't know how to process the world correctly. I've seen that in school systems. Our kids only know, bubble in the answer, what is three plus four? Okay, I bubble in this correct answer. But if you give them a word problem, if you give them a situation, I have four apples, I'm gonna buy three more apples, they're lost. Oh, I can't do this. No, I can't figure this out. <laughs> I've even seen that with some of my students. I give them something very simple to do. Hey man, will you mind going to do this? Would you mind sending this email to someone? Like, oh, well, what do I say in the email? Like, what do I explain? Well, what are we asking them? Oh, well, I think we're asking if we can reserve a room. Yeah, that's what we're asking. So what should you say in the email? Um, I guess I should say that we want to reserve a room. Yeah, yeah that's, that's how you send an email to someone. And that seems like a silly example, 
but that's my life. It's probably your life too, right, Tony? Like, that's our lives. Our students are coming in, and they want us to be able to hand them, and I'm going to package everything that you need to do. Open up. Oh, no. I have to open the package for you. Let me point out this is what you need to do. And that's what they're accustomed to. When it comes to the biblical context, we got to teach our kids how to think critically. And so what that means is the Bible says things. Now, how do I apply that and process that in an everyday life situation? How, how do I figure this out? How do I put these two things together? Uh, a lot of students might say some very shocking things to you. I don't know if you had a student come and ask you a question that's super crazy and it's just wild and you're just like, okay, you stop talking and let me tell you a bunch of stuff. I have a coworker who's a mom and her kids tell her some crazy things. And I learned this from her. What she does, she keeps a straight face. She's like, okay, why don't you tell me about it? Uh, her son said, yeah, so uh, I'm interested in dating a bisexual. Okay, all right, well, why don't you tell me about that? And what I learned from this mom is she's trying to open up the door of communication to allow her kids to explain so that she can then see, all right, where's the thinking off? And then I can ad address their wrong thinking. Versus she could easily say, son, that's bad. You cannot do this because the Bible says this, 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 and that. Are they going to get that? No, it's going to go in one ear and come out the other. They're going to say, oh, okay, and do whatever they want. But if we take the time to listen to our kids and find out where the disconnect is, then we can fix the disconnect, right? And then it's going to help the processing go a lot better. It's going to help them be able to think critically. You think about electrician work, right? If there's a cut in a wire, don't change the light bulb. That's not going to work. Don't address the light bulb or the switch. You've got to find out where the disconnect in the wire is and then fix that wire. So in the same way as we're working with our kids to help them think critically, we're going to have to listen to some crazy stuff. We're going to have to listen to some crazy questions. But we've got to bear with them and ask them, well, tell me about that. Explain that to me. Well, why do you think that? Or even, how do you feel about that student sharing that with you today? Or how do you feel or what do you think you should do in this kind of situation so that you're able to listen and then address and you're helping them to be led to discovery versus just telling them what to know. When you lead them to discover, they're going to remember that a whole lot longer. The second thing is they need to learn how to navigate life. They got to learn how to navigate the waters of life. So think critically, but then how to navigate. So if you're thinking about a crowd of people, how do I get through all these people successfully? So how do I navigate life while holding firmly to what I believe? They can only learn how to navigate by you teaching and you modeling. They got to see you do it. And that's where the whole us remembering what it was like to be that age and us remembering what it's like to suffer in those ways. That's why that's essential because we're gonna help them navigate with our experiences. Oh, dude, I do remember when I was 18, I was dealing with that situation. Uh, lots of times, a lot of conversations I've had is, how do you relate to your parents after you're 18, you're still living at home and you're in college? I know what that's like. So I'm like, well, yeah, my mom was like that too. This is how I navigated. Sometimes you just gotta be quiet and you gotta say yes ma'am and you gotta do what you're told. So I know that's hard, but that's what you gotta do. You're living in mama's house, so you gotta deal with mama's rules. That's teaching them how to navigate life. But it's coming from a position of, I know what that's like. I was there too, now let me help you do that. So 
in conclusion, this is all that I have. Uh, I don't know, I don't think that this is a foolproof plan if you then go start writing books or creating uh, a workshop or a plan based off all of this. I don't know if this will work in every context. But I do believe, number one, scripture addresses what we need to do with our kids and with our students. Scripture, the two passages that we looked at in the Old Testament and the New Testament, God clearly knew that life was going to be this way and laid out how we can help them. And the key is having a discipleship that involves both teaching and modeling. We want our kids to be able to think critically on their own, be able to process life, and then navigate this world by holding firmly to the truth of Scripture. So I'm going to pray specifically for all of our students because they need a lot of prayer. Uh, in every, on every single, single level, they need a lot of prayer because the world for them is very difficult. It is very challenging. We grew up in a time where things were not accepted. They're growing up in a time where everything's accepted and they don't understand. So let's pray. Father, how grateful we are that you have given us the words of life that you've not abandoned us to figure out things on our own, but you've given us 66 books, which is just one story of your redemption. And within that, you have given us insight into how to lead and guide others. So, Father, I first want to thank you for the men that were placed in my life that taught me about you. And I thank you for all the men and women and the churches and the programs that impacted everyone's lives in here that helped them to come to know you. So, Father, right now I ask that you will help us to be that to these students, to everyone that comes our way, that we will lead and guide them in a way that honors you and helps them to look more like your son, Jesus. And, Father, for all of our students that are living in the world and trying to understand what it looks like to not be of the world, we just pray for your help and your guidance, that you will help them to be open and honest with us when we ask them questions, that you will help them to remember the things that we've imparted to them, or that you will guard their hearts and minds in you. So we thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.